Welcome to Tribes Podcast. Hey, we just want to say thank you for making this message a part of your week. Our prayer is that these messages will inspire you to make the name of Jesus famous in your life and to the uttermost bounds of the earth. If you're ever in Jackson Hole, we'd love for you to visit our tribe fam in person. To learn more about us, you can find us online or at Facebook by searching tribejh.com. Ooh, that was great. In worship, uh, Liz, one of the things that you said I really love, and I think you've said it before, but um, in Song of Solomon, it says, with one glance of your eye, you've ravished my heart, my beautiful one, my bride. And I love that you mentioned that in worship today, that when we even think about thinking about him, he's undone by us even thinking about drawing close to him. And what a great thing to meditate on, to think about in worship. So I really love that, that you, you brought that verse in. Uh, the address is somewhere in Song of Solomon. With one glance of your eye, you've ravished my heart, my beautiful one, my bride. How, what a difference that verse is from many of our experience. Experientially, we have this notion in our mind that we need to earn God's love or that, well, because I've messed up or blown it, that if I try to like, like press into him, that he's going to be like, ooh, no, ooh, you're icky. That, that's not how he works at all. He's so, the, the theological word is transcendent. His ways are different than our ways. And for those people that have invited Jesus into their heart, made him the leader of their life, we have all the right standing with God that we're ever gonna get or ever gonna need. And when we approach a relationship with him from that perspective, I have right standing with you. I, I'm, in, I'm in right standing with my father. We can come to our father and the word tells us that his heart is literally undone. He's overcome with love uh, and affection that he longs to display towards us. Oh, isn't that cool? Okay, that was a bonus message before we got e even into the message today. As you know, we have been in a series uh, about the tribulation, and the title of our series is Tribulation and Triumph, the Earth's Darkest Days and the Glorious Return of the King. And by way to just refresh our memories, I wanna show you this, this video that will give you an idea uh, to help put into perspective all that we've been talking about. You've seen me hold this up a bunch, but this is a little scale model. The real one would probably be closer to the size of maybe like a sheet of plywood, four feet by eight feet, a big board like this with rocks embedded or studded into the bottom as a farming implement. And this was known in Jesus's day and even used up until fairly recently. This is known as a threshing sled or a threshing sledge or a trebulum. And that's where we get the word tribulation from. And so I just want to show you this video and then we will get into today's great content.
so good. Uh, we, we showed that video live at the 5 p.m. service uh, the other day, last week. We didn't have any volume for it, so it was fun because we've all seen the video many times, I understand. But uh, people were jumping in with their own sound effects, adding to the video, so uh, it was really, really, really quite special. But the idea behind this trebulum or tribulation, and really the, the whole heart behind the whole series, is to, to steal our hearts, uh, to, to bring courage, to bring strength to our hearts, knowing that in the days to come, and even today, as we go through our, our, our normal day, our everyday life, we experience difficulty, opposition, hardship, what can be described as tribulation. But as we press through tribulation, there's great reward on the other side, whether it's in our daily life or a season of life that we go through or end time events that the whole world will go through. And that's the purpose behind this series is to um, expose our tribe fam to these things, to remove fear, to also arouse hunger, to, to, to lean into these things because as we, as we study them, as we explore God's word together and learn more about it and as God breathes into the scripture and, and makes these things come alive in our heart, it, it actually brings encouragement to our hearts, not creates fear, but once we know what's coming, oh, that's, that's, what, that's what we're gonna face, that's what we're gonna uh, encounter. And in the midst of that, we have your love, we have your hope, we have your signs and wonders that are breaking forth. We have the advancement of the gospel. And it all culminates with your glorious return. That's a lot like labor, where it's painful and it's difficult. So I've heard, having never gone through it myself, although, and I'm not making a comparison, but right on the heels of that, I am saying that two spring breaks ago, I got stung in the foot by a stingray. And that's as close as I will ever get to experiencing that kind of anguish. And I just want to know from our live stream audience, have any of you given birth and been popped by a stingray? I'm not asking you to like contact me and tell me which was worse, looking for you to tell me that getting hit by a stingray was much worse. But I'm just saying it was the worst pain that I have ever experienced in my life. And the only thing on the other side of that was the pain ceased. So that's a terrible analogy for the tribulation because a much better analogy, where am I going with this? A much better analogy is that of birth. Like giving birth is difficult and arduous and there's pain and tears and blood. But on the other side of that, you get to hold this beautiful baby. There's this triumph. And the, there's a, a dear friend of ours that has been a, a friend of ours for Oh gosh, how, do, how long has Leah Johnson and Leah and Derek been in our lives? 10 years or more? Long time, long time. I got to do their wedding and they live in Oklahoma and uh, Leah just came to Jackson Hole for a visit and she got a little baby bump and they're gonna have a baby soon. And the, the triumph and the joy that awaits them on the other side of this increasingly difficult season for them is gonna make all the pain and all that they went through worth it. And in a similar way, that's what we have to keep our eyes and our perspective on as we talk about these things. So with that in mind, 
why don't we do a quick review and then jump into uh, today's material that, that we're going to talk about. As you know, uh, we've been in Matthew chapter 24. And in the words of Jesus, as recorded by Matthew, he divides in times up into three, uh, I like to think of them as movements of a symphony. If you're really familiar with music or if you're really familiar with the symphony, you can tell when one movement stops and the next movement begins. There's that transition. But for most of, most of us, especially me, who's really musically ignorant, I just like the whole thing and, and it kind of blends together in a similar way as Jesus distinguishes these three different movements of tribulation. Uh, it's not like one will end this is ending, and then this begins, kind of like, you know, a cannon booming, and then it, it's on the screen of the, the sky above you, like in the Hunger Games. That's not, that's not how it works. But Jesus himself divides end times into three movements of this symphony, so to speak. And that first movement is birth pains. We've talked about those. And then in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 24, he talks about transitioning from birth pains into tribulation and then in verse 21 he uses a modifier for that word tribulation and he talks about great tribulation and that's where we find ourselves today we're going to continue our discussion talking about great tribulation if you remember last week I said I want to divide great tribulation into two parts so that we can ease off the throttle a little bit take our time going through these verses, have some discussion, and I encourage you watching the live stream if you're watching at home uh, with your family or maybe you've got several families together as a discipleship campus. Uh, I encourage you, if you need to press pause, press pause. Talk about these things. At the end of the message, I want you to, to look in the scriptures. I want you to pray through this. I want you to have discussion. I, I enjoy vigorous discussion, especially if I'm not in the room. You guys just like work it out and Holy Spirit will lead you in the right direction, okay? So last week, as we got into the great tribulation, I said that there are eight observations that I have about great tribulation. And last week, we only talked about four of them. And if you remember, those four, just by way of review, in verse 15, Jesus talks about the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. There's one. Number two, in verse 16, Jesus talks about the flight from Jerusalem. Then number three, there's that word again. He talks about great tribulation, and, and we unpacked that verse. And then four, verse 23, he mentions again the rise of false messiahs. And what we said last week is no one really needs a Messiah until they realize that they need saving. And so what we're going to do this week, if you're taking notes, you can write at the top of your notes, Great Tribulation Part 2. And we're going to jump back into Matthew chapter 24, and I'd like us to, to take a little bit of time and read verses 15 through 28. And so uh, I want to invite one of you, whoever finds Matthew 24, verse 15 through 28, why don't you let it rip and just read that for us, okay? Okay, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been seen mm. from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So, if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Mm, interesting. Uh, what translation are you reading from, Joy? ESV. ESV. Mm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. He says, uh, what is that? Uh, I just want to ask you a quick question, Matthew 24. Um, Matthew 24, verse 23. Mm -hmm. Look, here is the Christ, or there he is. Do not believe it. Uh, yeah, keep going. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Oh, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Uh, 26. Sorry. See, I have 26. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, hmm. do not go out. Interesting. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe hmm. it. Wilderness and inter, inter mm. rooms. That's a really... Uh, the inner inner rooms. inner rooms interesting in my translation in the new living translation it says he is hiding here hmm. very interesting uh let's do because we're gonna we're gonna talk about this um i would love for you to uh, jump on blue letter bible and let's look up that word for either uh wilderness or desert um because you've talked to us about uh, retreating to solitary places. I'm wondering if that word is uh, eremos that you've talked about before. Do you guys remember when Joyce talked about eremos and withdrawing to these solitary places and, and the benefits of it? Uh, but I would just be curious to see if that, if that word comes up again. So now that we have the, 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 the full picture of what Matthew is talking about, I, wanted to, I want to jump into part two. And so what we're going to do is jump right into verse 24. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, we see an increase of false prophetic movement. This is what Jesus is warning about, an increase of a false prophetic movement. Now, in those days, we can expect to see an increase of supernatural activity. And if you remember, all you need to do is look through scripture to see that the enemy, Satan, he loves to come, come alongside the genuine and the authentic and try to introduce the counterfeit. Wherever there is, is, is genuine love and affection, 
the enemy would like to try to creep in alongside with, with lust and uh, 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 cheap thrills. Whenever, uh, whenever there is the real, there's always the, you can always expect to see the movement of the enemy. How about in Jesus' leadership team within the 12 disciples? There was, a, there, was a, a, there was a spy, there was an interloper, there was a saboteur that was injected into leadership, into Jesus' leadership team. Now, it's not like Jesus didn't know, oh my gosh, Judas. In fact, he even said, one of you is a devil. So Jesus knew, but I love the courage of Jesus' leadership. And I love that he knows something that, that we should see plain as day that whenever we see the authentic, the genuine, we should expect somewhere in there that there's going to be a weed that grows up in the garden. Does that make sense? I think a lot of times people are experiencing something genuine, something authentic, a move of God maybe in your church, maybe when you were younger it was like in your youth group or something. There was something real and genuine and authentic happening, and then... One little weed got in there. Things might have gotten rocky or turbulent or maybe a little wonky for just a moment before it was exposed and, and, and cut out and cast aside. But so many people get thrown off that they're willing to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Jesus tells us that there will be an increase of supernatural activity in the last days because of an unprecedented move of God. As we see the move of God, we also need to keep our head on a swivel and be able to discern what is of God and what isn't. And those things that are not of God, that doesn't mean that we throw out the entire movement. Oh, man, the, 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 the whole charismatic movement or uh, being slain in the spirit or speaking in tongues, that the whole thing is just awful because I never saw it myself but I heard a story about somebody somewhere barking like a dog and so the whole thing just throw the whole thing out oh come on like have you even read your bible I mean that's not that's not a fair statement to make I don't like it when people say that I apologize but but we see it in the world around us and we see it numerous times in scripture that right alongside the authentic and the genuine the counterfeit tries to rise up when we encounter the counterfeit that doesn't nullify negate or uh, be reason to to throw out the whole thing we just need to have wisdom and Jesus warns us have wisdom as you see an increase of supernatural activity in the end times you got to have your head on a swivel, be able to discern. And like one of my theology professors said at Oral Roberts University, eat the meat, spit out the bones. All right. So number one, an increase of false pro prophetic movement. Oh, one more point about that. Uh, in Revelation chapter 11, we see on display for the whole world a genuine, authentic move of prophetic ministry with two firebrand witnesses Let, let's take just a little bit and let's read about those guys so if you have your your bible turn to revelation chapter 11 we could do a, a whole message on just these two wild characters alone but 
we've been in Matthew, we've been in Daniel, we've been in Revelation, but let's let's take uh, let's take a little bit of time, get into Revelation, and let's read about these guys because they get twelve whole verses. So Revelation chapter eleven, verse three through thirteen. Let's read about these guys' journey. Whenever you have it, just let it rip. I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees, and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths. Wait, now, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Take another run at just that sentence. If anyone tries to harm them. Fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. Is that literal? Is it metaphorical? Ah, Can't wait to find out. (laughs) This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Okay, let, let's pause right there. Keep your place. But these signs will play out in the end times. How many millions of people around the world and how many millions of Christians are going to be like, whoa, nope, nope, throw up the big X, eh, take their double ice cream scoops and say, back it up, back it up. That's an inside joke for Kimberly Tomlinson, our friends in Tulsa, Oklahoma, back it up. I am not buying that, but that is genuine. That that ministry is from the Lord. And we'll find out exactly why, because um, it says that God breathed life back into them. So this is a genuine move of the Lord. But, But keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, Mm. where also their Lord was crucified. So we know that city to be Jerusalem. That's right. Quick pause. How is that possible? That, like, if they're in one geographic place, how can the whole world see them then? Just think, uh, 60 years ago is unfathomable. What has, what, what has happened in the last 60 years, I'm guessing at that date, that, ha- that allows the whole world to see the dead, the two dead bodies? There you go, yeah television and the internet 60 years ago it was not possible what do we read in in revelation and in matthew that we're like uh how is that 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 60 years from now if things last that long we'll be like oh that makes total sense you guys uh, okay oh uh, uh through 13 the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts. Isn't that interesting? Because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Wow. 
But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. There you go, see? And they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to try so hard not to say too much about all of those verses, but this is going to happen. And for those of us who have studied, who have leaned into this subject, who have pressed into a relationship with the Lord to, to look for understanding and insight to these verses, when these two prophets emerge, because we're just checking in with the news, we, we, we all have uh, news available to us. Are they going to, are they going to be, uh, well, the Bible, I almost said, well, they have suits and ties, but the Bible tells us how they'll be dressed. That's going to be crazy. But when we see these two prophets emerge on this scene, we will be like, oh, this is that, this is that, this is that. Our eyes will be glued to the city of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us how long their ministry will last. The Bible tells us the impact and the result of their ministry. The Bible tells us that when they come, when, when they are killed by the beast, and the beast is the Antichrist, that when they rise again, God breathes the breath of life back into them, having lain dead on the streets of Jerusalem. They come back to life. And at that moment, the Bible says there will be a, a massive earthquake. 7,000 people die. Guys, if you do not, if you have not cultivated a relationship with the Holy Spirit and with the Lord and with his ways preceding this time, when you see the hand of God move to raise them from the dead and then the earthquake happens and 7,000 people die, you will be offended at what God has done instead of celebrating what God has done. Now, we don't celebrate the loss of life. That's not what I'm talking about. But we, we grieve and mourn when any life is lost, right? Mm -hmm. But we're able to put it into perspective knowing that, that A, this earthquake was going to happen, B, that 7,000 people were going to lose their lives, which in itself is a tragic, but we're not going to blame God and turn our backs on God. Does that make sense? That's why it is so vitally important to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit now so that in the days to come, we will not be offended by his leadership. The two witnesses. Man, what is that going to be like? Oh, okay, okay, we, guys, come on. We have, to, we have to keep going. I know that you want to take a pause there and... and just unpack that. Uh, any thoughts or questions about that real quick before we move on? It's okay. No, but let's move on. Number two. Verse 26, Jesus talks about, this is pretty interesting. Jesus talks about the location of false messiahs, where we can expect to find them and where they will come from. 
Isn't this interesting? It's, it's not enough just to warn us about false prophets and false messiahs, but he tells us the location we can expect them to come from. The first place is from the deserts. So, Joy, were you able to look up that word? And is it Eremos? Very interesting. Very interesting. So, the desert, Eremos, that's the Greek word for desert or wilderness places. Good things can come from there or bad things can come from there. We, we have to be careful about um, not, what's the word I'm looking for? Generalizing. We don't want to overgeneralize. Anything that comes from this, the desert, bad. And then, then we make another grievous error by saying anything from the sea, good. We, gotta, we have to be really careful uh, about that. And that's one of the reasons why uh, our, our tribe fam, um, I should probably get like paid by or sponsored by Blue Letter Bible. Um, because somebody asked me like, well, I have a, I have a red letter Bible. Is, is there something that I'm missing? And what a sweet, precious, innocent question. Because uh, I happen to have a red letter version of my Bible. So any of the words that Jesus speaks uh, are, are written in red ink instead of black ink. But blueletterbible.org is a website. And you've heard me talk about this thing over and over again. But it's a really great Bible study tool that you can use to look at Hebrew words, to look up Greek words, the part of speech that they are, the definitions, how many times that specific word is used, the root of that word. And it's a really great tool to, to help you unpack the scriptures as you're scratching around and digging for revelation, meaning God's uh, God's insight into the text. And so, uh, when I read that they will be in the wilderness or the desert, from the, my, my version says, in the NLT it says the desert, it makes me think of Matthew chapter 12, verse, verse 43. And Jesus says that when a, when, a, when a devil or an evil spirit or a demon is cast out of a person, he goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Now this is interesting because Jesus went into the wilderness and it says that he encountered the Lord there. He went into the wilderness with the favor of God. He came out of the wilderness in the power of God. But the Bible says that God took the nation of Israel into the wilderness to do what? The Bible says to speak tenderly to her. So in the wilderness... We can expect to encounter God. And especially if we're in a wilderness season, we can, we can encounter him there. But those who are not submitted to the Holy Spirit, as according to Matthew chapter 24, verse 43, it says they won't find any rest or peace. And so these false prophets will be coming up out of the desert, but they're not going to be able to offer rest peace or encouragement. And Matthew, the author of this gospel, is using that, that literary, that choice of vocabulary to trigger a literary correlation for us, to be thinking about, ooh, what goes into the wilderness? What comes out of the wilderness? We have to be careful and we have to keep our head on a swivel during those times so that we will be able to rightfully discern what is it that's coming out of that wilderness? Is it of the Lord or is it not? The second thing 
that Jesus uses, or the second thing that Jesus says, is that we can expect to see that that some of these places will be, oh, what is the other thing that he says here? There will be in hiding. Or what was the word that your translation used? Inner rooms. Inner rooms, that's really interesting. From the ESV, mine from the NLT says that they can be found in hiding. Well, in hiding, that's a very interesting vocabulary choice because it gives us a clue that these false prophets will claim to be revealing false, uh, uh, they will be claiming to reveal, let's see, how do I describe it? Um, they'll be claiming to reveal, uh, un, uh, let's see, how do I, how, how do I say this? Um, uh, mysteries about God and the nature of God that, have, that are unknown to people and are outside of the biblical text. That's what I'm trying to, to get at here. It says that they are in hiding or that they're in inner rooms. The author, Matthew, he's giving us a clue that these prophets will be claiming to reveal secret information. Secret information being outside of what has been revealed or what we can discover in the biblical text. So if you get this prophet that's saying, well, You've heard the Bible say, but I tell you with some sort of new revelation, that is a clear indication, whether he's in an inner room or whether he is uh, in hiding, how, however we see it play out in, in world history and world events, that that is just, that that, that is uh, an example of or a clear indication that we have encountered a false prophet. Now, I want to keep going here. So we've talked about one and two. Let's go to verse 27. And in verse 27, we get just a little taste, a little morsel of the glory that we can expect to encounter when he returns. Verse 27. Let's look at verse 27. It says this, For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Now, I wrote these couple of bullet points down beneath this verse. Just like lightning, his return will be sudden. His return will be unexpected. And his return will be unmistakable. If you've ever had lightning strike near you, you don't need to ask, oh, was that lightning? Like, you know, mostly because your ears are ringing and you've wet your pants. Like, that's how you like, oh, there's no mistaking that was lightning. His return will be sudden. His return will be unexpected. And his return will be unmistakable. Now, some people try to use this verse as a, a verse to explain or to support the rapture of the church. But we need to look carefully at this statement because it is not a verse to support the rapture of this church. In fact, there's nothing in this statement to even hint at the rapture of the church. Look at what's happening just preceding that statement. This verse is a complement to the previous statements. Matthew does not record the introduction of, of a new thought. Let's take a look at this. In verse 27, Matthew chapter 20. Four, verse 27. Let's back up. If someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, 
Don't bother to go out and look. Or look, he's hiding here. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Okay, this, this verse is talking about Jesus is giving, uh, giving us an idea in connection with the two previous verses. If he was introducing a new thought, grammatically speaking, it should be a new, it should be a new paragraph. But there's no paragraph break there. Does, does that make sense? Now, you can write this verse down and, and come back and study it later. But I can understand where people get this idea that the, the lightning flashing is, is, is uh, in support of the rapture of the church. Because people who study the Bible instantly start thinking of a verse that Paul talks about. And that verse is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. And you can write this verse down, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Paul says, it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is the it and what is the will happen? What will happen? This verse is in reference to the rapture of the church. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. Oh, we haven't even got to talk about the trumpets that we hear in Revelation. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. That verse, when you look at verses preceding and afterwards, that verse is talking about the rapture of the church and the resurrection of the dead. What Jesus is saying is in no way a reference to the rapture of the church. It's in reference to the speed and the unmistakability of his coming. Now, his second coming is in fact connected with the rapture of the church. But in that moment, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Does, does, that, does that make sense? Yes. Okay, well, I'm glad that you agree. Let's look at the fourth point here. We're already on our, our last point. I've, I've, I'm trying to go in smaller, digestible uh, bites so that we can have some discussion and, and, and talk about it. But we're already on point number four. Let's look at verse 28. Jesus uses, or Matthew, well, Jesus says it and Matthew records it. He uses a literary device there called a simile. Now, everybody say simile. simile. All right, but when you use that word, you also have to touch the corner of your glasses like this. Jesus uses a simile that's going to really boost your IQ, perceived IQ points right there, guys, of the vultures. Yeah, I said perceived. See, you got to listen closely. Grammar means something. <laughs> Verse 28, Jesus says, and Matthew records, a simile that Jesus uses. Matthew chapter 24, verse 28. Just as. Ah, okay, so now that's, a, that's a clue. Just as the gathering of vultures show there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Listen closely to this. Jesus is connecting the gathering of vultures with the accumulation of signs that will result in his glorious return. This verse does not have anything to do with the gathering of the saints. It's about, because it's a, it's a simile. Well, what is, what is Jesus trying to connect here? He's trying to connect 
all of these signs that he's been talking about with the gathering of vultures. We still have not gotten to the rapture yet. And what is it supposed to indi indicate? So these signs indicate that the end is near. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? What's the... I want to get out of that habit. Whoa, 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 whoa. Brian, stop. Woe to you saying whoa, whoa, whoa. So these signs indicate that the end is near. The end of what? Is it the end of the saints on earth? The rapture? Or is it the end of tribulation that results in the rapture of the church? And I don't know if you think that I'm splitting hairs, and, and I hope that I don't con confuse you as I say those things. Let me make those two statements one more time, just really quickly. In the text, in the Bible, it says, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Okay, well, that brings up a question in my mind. The end of what? Is it the end of the saints on the earth just before their rapture? Or is it the end of tribulation, listen closely, that results in the rapture of the church? Well, there's an answer to that question, the end of what? We need to go all the way back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 24. We have to keep these three questions continually spun up in our mind as we go through the rest of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, the disciples ask Jesus three direct questions. When will all of this happen in reference to the destruction of the temple? Question number two, what will signal your return? And then question number three, what will signal, here it is, the end of the world? And then in this, in this instance, between verse 3 and verse 20, where, where are we? Verse 28, I love that Jesus speaks very plainly and clearly to his disciples and to us. He answers, that's the end that he's talking about, the end of the world, not the end of the saints on planet Earth. Well, in weeks coming, we will discover that when Jesus returned, that's when the church is raptured. So those two, those two events are, are connected. But we have to understand that the end is the end of the tribulation. That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is answering the end of the world question. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to take just a, a few moments. Uh, either on the live stream, you can press pause for a few moments, uh, or you can let it roll out, and we, you can join us in the discussion that we're having here at the TMC. But uh, I want you to think about um, what's, what's some, what are some connection points that you are making with the material today and what we've been talking about? What are some questions that you might have? What are some thoughts that you're having regarding either today or the, this whole series? And while you're thinking of those things, I, I want to let you know that uh, if it feels like we've been stuck in a rut of doom and gloom and like oh, chaos and destruction, which I personally don't feel like we have. These things are exciting to me because it, is, it, it, it equips me with knowing what's ahead. And that removes fear and replaces it with the excitement. I've, my personal feeling about 
these events have been one of excitement and anticipation. But I understand if you feel like we've kind of been stuck in this doom and gloom rut. I want to tell you that all you need to do is look at the next few verses. Guys, we're going to, we're going to turn the corner. We're going to talk about the glorious return of the king, what all of that means. And we're going to bring this epic series in for a landing before we head to spring break, okay? So with that in mind, with that in mind, well, just know that, that I don't want to say more positivity or turning the corner is right around the corner because to me, all of this is positive, but uh, the things are going to shift very soon. So with that in mind, let's have a little bit of discussion. What sort of thoughts or questions are on your mind with the few moments that we have left? And then we'll continue on with the service. So what are you seeing in this that we've talked about or, or that we think? Well, I see that hand there in the back. What stood out to you from verse, uh, from these four things? What's, what, what's something that stands out to you, Liz? You can just make an observation. It might not be a question. But take a look at the screen here. You'll see these four points. What is something that connects with you or, or, or resonates with you from what we've talked about today? I think it's interesting how specific um, it gets about the false messiahs. Like that's a, that's a, I feel like that there's some really like intricate details there mm. of warning of not to fall into certain traps. Oh, that's good. And, and what speaks to you about that? For example, is it, is it the fact that I'm just glad that Jesus would take the time to tell us about that? Or not that you know or have any specific details? Or is it like, I find it interesting that Jesus goes into some detail? I think it's interesting he goes into some detail, but mm. also in 26 where he says, so if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, maybe could that be a reference to um, John the Baptist? Well, like people were like, oh, is John the Messiah? And like John was in the desert, like oh. in their world, like that's what I think when I think of that, like preaching in different areas, like he's in the desert or he's in the, you know, these different places, hmm. like not to make those journeys to go see this person or whatever it is that everyone's talking about interesting in a different location yeah interesting don't bother to go and look or look he's hiding here so he's like saying far away and right here in your own hiding country here. or your own town or hmm. whatever it is hmm. so you find it interesting that jesus is giving us some geographical for instances right hmm, yeah yeah that is cool i'm glad that he goes into a few of those details. Now, does that mean that as things actually play out, that we're going to hear of prophets like out in the desert somewhere? Like out in Moab? Out in Moab? <laughs> out in Saudi Arabia? I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I also think, I, just in hearing other teachings, and I think we all know other stances and teachings, um, but really the next verse of just as the gathering of vultures, I know some maybe is it this verse that people believe it's the eagles in that yes, verse okay right we need to dig into that because eagles and vultures are very different totally because don't some people think that if that's eagles that means like being caught up that's such a great point uh i've heard maybe teachers, a whole other message I've, but i've heard teachers say that when you see the gathering of eagles the bodies will be nearby meaning the bodies will be caught up 
and and I think that's a poor exegesis. Number one, touch your glasses. Yeah. Number two, the question that I have is: there's one Greek word that for eagles and vultures. In our English translation, sometimes it says vultures, sometimes it says eagles. Just a question that I have is, wonder why the translators decide to go with English sometimes and vultures another time. Maybe that, that's, a, that's a good Bible study to, to dig into sometime. Uh, how about one or two more comments or thoughts and then we'll continue on with service. If we, um, sticking with the false messiah thing and having a warning ahead of time that we could be swayed um, either, I don't know, I kind of think of uh, a Messiah that's in the wilderness, this idea of somebody who's very um, just different, but there's something compelling about him that we'd want to make some sort of big pilgrimage or big trek out to try and meet and see, is this the one? Um, and then the same with the inner rooms, hiding or those secret um, things where I think we've all heard like, well, you've heard it said this way, but let me tell you this mm. new piece of revelation. So mm -hmm. my question is, um, what would you say would be the number one or maybe two things that we can use to discern or muscles maybe that we can um, exercise right now so that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that's not the true Messiah? Mm. That That's a great great point um, and when you talked about inner rooms or secret one of the one of the places that my brain instantly went to is uh, you're hearing this narrative in the news but let me tell you what's really going on I mean this election this virus the vaccine the number of conspiracy theories uh, are are exploding I mean they're more contagious than the virus itself and interestingly enough there is some genuine authentic real information that's coming in that, that that we should know that tries to be discredited as just it, people are quick to dismiss it by saying well that's a conspiracy theory so how do we know the genuine the true and authentic well i would suggest to you the same way that bank tellers train are trained to spot counterfeit currency so if you get a job at a bank and you handle money a lot you've probably gone through a training on how to spot uh, counterfeit money now Today, there are things built into our dollars that you can shine a light on and you can look at it. That technology is relatively new, but in the past, the way that they would train tellers is not by saying, here's a counterfeit bill, here's a counterfeit bill, and here's this kind of counterfeit bill. They didn't do that. They set that all aside. They had tellers study the genuine, the real, and authentic. So the more you study the genuine, the real, and authentic, which is right here, and cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit, spending time with Him, surrendering to Him, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, operate, practice operating in the gifts of the Spirit, including exercising your prayer language. As you cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit and you dig into His Word, He's going to illuminate, not reveal things that aren't there, because that's what that was the warning that Jesus gave, but revealing truths that are contained within the Bible as he, as he reveals those things to you, the Bible says that he'll guide you into all truth. And when you know the truth, it'll set you free and you'll be able to better see and recognize the counterfeit. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, that's good. It, it reminds me of um, 
how Jesus is our shepherd and um, the sheep know his voice. And mm-hmm. like, if you truly have that intimate relationship, you know, and you can discern. I think I heard John Bevere talk about once about how if he's in a crowded room of people, if his wife says something, he can hear her and know he knows her voice over the whole crowd. Um, and that idea of being so intimate with God that his voice is clear and all those other voices do not sound like our shepherd. And that's what I've talked about and what preceded this series of, uh, we talked for a number of weeks about cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We got to do it now. That's the buying of the oil now. Okay, oh, we could just keep going and going. Why don't I take a moment and pray for us and then I'm going to invite Joy to come share a few announcements and Uh, We'll receive the offering, and then we'll pray, dismiss, and get out of here. So let's just take a moment and, and pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We want to cultivate a relationship with you now. We want to cultivate intimacy with the Holy Spirit now so that as we face tribulation, not someday, but even tomorrow, as we face thalipsis, that's that Greek word, tribulation, trying circumstances, pressures of this world, difficulty, opposition. As we experience these things now, we cultivate that relationship with you and you strengthen us. You steal our hearts, not steal away, but you provide steel. You galvanize our hearts to press into you so that we can be triumphant even in today's tribulation. And thank you, Lord, for helping us to to know what's coming in the days ahead so that we can respond with confidence and be in a position to love and influence and lead those around us. We can't wait for your glorious return. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said...